0: I don't want a pickle. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Noko Moto Podcast, episode 150. I know we said we were going to do something special for episode 150, but it happened last week, our episode with Eric Buell. Now, I am your host, Moto GP, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yep coming to you from Nokomoto headquarters which is also Moto 1 podcast network studios uh, suite, recording suite A right studio A back back here in the studio and you know it's a special occasion so I let I let our intern Jackson with an X come back but he has to pay us to be here now it's only fair it's only fair it so i mean until he fucks up and then he's got to pay us twice the rate to be here okay and i he wants me to sign this shit that gives him like college credits and that's kind of an ask i don't know but i the, the president was going to sign it but then i i peed on the papers anyway so here we go back here in the studio now Whoa, geez, it's, it's, it's a regular format episode. We haven't, this things have been fucked up and weird for a while. So here we go. Whew. I'm going to remind everyone at the beginning of this episode hey, we brought you like real talk of the future with Eric Buell last week. How about a little like, you know, rating, review, whatever you can? Uh, Google feedback, that's awesome. I consistently now the show is kind of like top 10 Google results, search results. It's iTunes. It's popping up under all the search terms, you know, without having to like skip to page two or anything listens are up. Hey, last week's episode was already, I think the most listened to episode in the first week. It's, it's all on the ups. Okay. Like, Hey, you, maybe you'll want to hear us talk about the future of racing with Wayne Rainey. Uh, how about you you know you help us bump our stats and give us some more clout right you know what i'm saying cuz that's an interview i'd like to do i'd like to talk about raising racers and teaching your kids to ride with stony L- well stony would probably just be on the show anyway he's a cool dude but i'm you know it's it's really becoming something guys so how's about a little love it's your cost of admission it's only right so what are we going to talk about today swigs we've got well, we've got some drama with corrections and emissions that involves The List and Cleveland Moto. We have, let's see here, we're going to do Best Worst Bike. I know you guys missed it last week. I'm hoping what we gave you instead was acceptable. And we are going to do some news We're going to talk about events that we're going to go to this week briefly. Then we've got some products that are coming out that we need to talk about, some bike releases, and we're finally going to catch up on some emails. And I think that'll be a pretty good show. Warning, also, my worst bike in the world this week is also kind of a uh, discussion topic. So that's going to go, well, it always goes long. (laughs) So, Swigs. Did you listen to the corrections and emissions? Now, by the way, guys did Did you listen to last week's um, Cleveland Moto? I did not. Well, you should. They 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 you you managed to stay out of the line of fire, which is only fair. I was kicking up dirt. <laughs> I, I took I took most of the shots. Uh, they took exception that I took exception to their corrections of the list of best bikes made by motorcycles and misfits. It's getting convoluted. Oh, by the way, did
1: you hear the creative riding top 10 list? I didn't. I've been, I have not been listening to podcasts lately. Oh my gosh. So it sounds Junkie, like I need to. Yeah.
0: Junkie decided to make his list of the top 10 bikes to, um, what was it? Waft a breeze over your vagina. <laughs> Which I took exception to, because listen, if anyone's going to be making lists without me, they better fucking watch out, all right? I saw my mom making a grocery list. I tore it up in front of her face. I saw my daughter making a list, and I just fucking slapped her. I mean, I stood, I stepped into it, open palm really hard. Turns out it was her spelling words, but I didn't want to take any chances, <laughs> all right? <laughs> so... Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. So Cleveland Moto took exception that I took exception. And by the way, in case anyone's confused, like I talked with Phil. This is all in good fun. Like in case anyone thinks it's really heating up, it's not. I I love this kind of stuff. But I I don't think they launched a very good attack on me. So, for starters, the the only thing that really held water is they pointed out that the Super Cub enclosed chain isn't actually oiled. It's basically just what a proper chain cover should be, right? Or chain guard should be. That's that's apparently that's all it is. Okay, so I was wrong about that. Everything else just seemed to be like okay. Tip for everybody out there: if you're around anybody over the age of 50 just don't bring up the honda trail 90 because this is like this is muslim extremist levels of dedication this is straight up (laughs) that i no one is committed to a bike like these guys are committed to this bike so uh, okay. At one point, they
1: said they Are had they, a though? list. Because they were all also really committed to the monkey bike as well. They seem to be really committed to a lot of bikes. Well, I think like
0: Grumpy Sewer guy was like thinking of buying a second one or some shit. He's really into it. And then I think Phil bought one, too. I think they do own like two monkey bikes between the, the podcast. And maybe even okay. a third one coming or some shit like that. I don't know. They're really... they They... Look, old men are into the monkey bike. And that's okay. That's okay. It was made for them. It's only appropriate that they love it. Right? Yeah. Well, anyway, Mm. I I got to say, so at one point, like, Phil turns to Chris Smith, who apparently had a list of complaints, of my complaints, and he mentions that at one point I uh, become obsessed with hyperbole and he's like, oh, Pete says here that uh, life saving organs have been uh, delivered to hospitals with this by and like around the table, they're kind of like, uh, well, actually, that might be true. He's like, <laughs> women have given birth on this thing. Well, given the numbers of these bikes, he's like, you know, fortunes have been won and lost. They're like, eh, it's kind of a stretch, but maybe. So, like, even within the podcast, they can't agree on where they disagree with our points on the on the Super Cub. And uh, again, I, I I I don't know that it was a very strong attack. Uh, they were certainly passionate about the fact that I passionately attacked them but i don't think it cohesively came together in a way that really sticks to the wall. Okay, i was wrong about the chain system. Uh whoop de doo, i'm wrong every fucking week. So <laughs> it uh, turns
1: out it's actually impossible to know even 1% of all the things to know about motorcycles. So your credibility instantly goes up if you're just absolutely shameless. Yeah, well, I if there's a
0: shameless person in motorcycle <laughs> podcasting, I am going to step up and accept that award. <laughs> uh, right. So, m- uh, the second point I want to attack their attack is they didn't even acknowledge my attack on their their whole Superhawk thing, which was a bullshit category. The the category was best mini bikes and i don't know why i re-listened to all my points i said uh, bultaka when i meant hodaka was sort of the previous king of super cheap accessible mini bikes and then honda as well kind of took over with the original monkey bikes whatever i really think the economics the practicality, the you know, Phil went on and on and on about the uh, the support for the manuals and everything online about these bikes a couple weeks ago. And again, they bought a freaking pallet of them, and they just kind of refused to acknowledge th- that this was this was true or ever happened or whatever. Uh, Okay, and then one of them, I can't remember who it might have been, Mechelfresh, it might have been Hoffer, but. Um, was like, well, you know, I did think it was kind of interesting uh, that I that theory about the, the XR750. And then they go on to talk for like 10 minutes about how great the XR750 is uh, versus what, the, the 93 Road King that they chose as the best Harley ever? Come on, which which one do you want more? The xr seven like... I, as well, nice it was my th- suggestion. So it was. Take a wild guess
1: as to what I think.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> well, and I... Well, it, a 93 Roking, King like, just isn't very special either. I mean, I might have to go as far as six, seven blocks until I see another one of those. For sale. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Versus the bike that you can have in your garage and tell people it's the evil Knievel bike. Just that alone will impress them. So there's that. And and then they they, again, they seemed confused over my my uh opinion our opinions we both talked about it on the britain and w- how they didn't understand it It looks like they kind of did go back and and do a little bit more uh a little more research on the story and everything and they had a little bit more reverence coming around this time but again i threw out there the vr 1000 as an alternative And they just shit on that as well. They're like, well, it broke this one time. Every race bike breaks. That's the point. You tune it to the point of absolute collapse. That's how you win
1: races. Uh, It's a weird prototype bike. I mean, if we were to do this properly, I would be officiating it. And we would have very strict categories to the point at which we sucked all the fun out of it. But oh well, here's what I I kind of do want to suck
0: the fun out of it in a way. What I propose is for the corrections we made, could we get Liza or Emma in just like a thirty second segment, no fanfare, no anything, or just send an email that includes both me and Phil, where Emma or whoever or the, all the misfits at once just go okay. Super Cub versus Trail 90, which one's better? You make your – I know they're going to be slanted on that one, but I don't care. These are my rules that I'm just making up. Second, um, Britain versus – what was the bike that they put – like R1 was the one they put up against the Britain? No, no, the F4. The F4. Britain or F – no, no, no. Go go Britain or VR1000. Do we need to set up like a podcast court? Kind of, yeah. And (laughs) – Yeah, there's a new show coming your way called (laughs) Judge Emma. Uh,
1: We'll we'll go through jury selection and everything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, The plaintiff contends that the Britain does not count as a race bike in the same category as the R1. (laughs) (laughs) They put forth, they have submitted the following witnesses. (laughs) Right. So... Right.
0: And then what was the other one they said? Um they said what was the one what was the insane one that oh it said the jigs seven fifty, they said um R one or N R 7 no, N R seven fifty they said. Okay, so what's better? N R seven fifty or the CBR one thousand R forever. You yeah. know. The you know, what's better between those because we're not comparing our list versus the misfits anymore, just simply what Cleveland suggested versus what we suggested, right? So, NR 750 versus CBR 1000, and then all the R's because so that's what we said there. Um, what we didn't also they 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 countered the misfits, um. 60s Husqvarna's two-strokes with the CR250, which I have to tell Cleveland Moto, the CR250, so much better bike than 60s Husqvarna's. I I mean, Emma made solid points, but they're still hot garbage. Uh, But you can't tell me for 20 years now that the YZ 250F being the first, uh, that's the every competition motocross bike is, is, is basically modeled after the, the YZ 250F 20 years on. It has, it completely reshaped the competition dirt bike off-road, like sport, like competition world. I just hands down. That's it. It, Mm. It's the uh, that first five valve that, that Genesis motor that, that that they then
1: took the the four fifties into as well. It, it's just yeah, you can't tell. So we've been antagonizing for an entire beer now. So it's probably time. To move on to best worst bike.
0: Okay, yeah, but then also like for <laughs> mini bikes, I mean, come on. Also make make a ruling on the SSRs or just ignore us. Let the whole thing die. I'm cool for that too. But anyway, there we go. Correct. <laughs> oh, there was a. Uh, I guess we'll, there's one other correction that, but that'll come up in emails. We got that a couple hours ago. Did you see that one? Nope. Oh, apparently you uh, told people that um, in in having a protective layer for degloving, they should use gunpowder.
1: <laughs>
0: but we we'll get into No, that.
1: uh I don't think I said that. I, I could have been well, that was a long time ago, and I was probably very drunk. So it's yeah. a possibility. Okay.
0: How about we move on to best worst bike in the world this week? Let's do it. Okay. So here it is, everybody. The segment you've all been waiting for, because you've gone a couple weeks without it. Best worst bike in the world this week. This is the segment where me and Swiggy each pick a motorcycle. Or you know, creatively pick something like that. And we don't know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. It's just a fun way to look at a couple of bikes that you wouldn't normally look at. So don't catch your panties all in a bunch. It's going to be fine. Send us constructive thoughtful, caring, loving emails to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. And we'll shoot it out with you, or at the very least, we're going to read your email on the show and discuss it with you that way. In some form, we'll get back to you. might take a month, but we'll do it. We always, you know, and if an email gets lost, uh, we usually at least try to, every once in a while, go back in the past and catch ones we missed even. So do that. And just remember... Like Eric told us last week, you're right. There is no crying in motorcycles. So, oh, wait, right before we start this, I have to say one last thing about what Christmas said. Christmas Christmas specifically said it was preposterous and hyperbole that – entire economies were based on the Super Cup. And then I said to Eric Buell, there are entire economies based on the Super Club. And he said, quote, yeah, you're really right about entire economies being based on this motorcycle. <laughs> and like th- those two things were probably being recorded at the same time, right? <laughs> it's just, it's such a win in my life, like such a mic drop at <laughs> Cleveland Motor. <Moda. laughs> Which is great because they're usually so much more correct than we are. <laughs> also, just real quick before we start, a great moment was uh, as Phil was introducing the segment where they took a big shit on me. He goes, he goes, well, you know, we love Pete, but, you know, Pete's been wrong about things and he knows it,
1: <laughs> which
0: is so true. All right. Anyway, so best work bike in the world, little L- uh, Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay.
1: And the best bike in the world this week is... The current generation. Kawasaki Ninja ZX-10R SE. Oh, a liter bike. What is different about this one? Uh, basically how stupid it is. Okay. So... You know for a long time we, we always talked about how insane just the Jixxer seven fifty was and how just dollar for horsepower and performance and overall enabler of terrible life decisions it was. Jixerism. Yeah. This is another uh, this is another bite. This is Kawasaki taking another bite out of Suzuki for that title. So, it's not entirely, if you take all of the subclasses and like the non-race spec bikes, it's not quite the cheapest, but overall this is generally cheaper than all the other super bikes out there. There are some versions of the GSX-S and the R1-S and other bikes that are a little bit cheaper, but this is basically the cheapest one. This is, I believe, like $500 cheaper than a GSX-R1000. It's like $2,000 cheaper than an R1. It's in, this is uh, $15,400 MSRP. For that, you get a 203 horsepower stock, but that's with a street legal exhaust on it. You get electronic suspension. You get all your rider modes, including your custom mode. It's got a full IMU, just like you know the the R ones do now. You get a cassette gearbox. Hmm. You don't have to fuck. You don't have to do this the the white trash way of swapping out your rear sprocket like a stunt bike. To get it a bit more torquey or stretch the swing arm, you could – well, that's not really – but scratch that. But you can just go and – you can hooligan the proper way and go change your gear ratios. Well, also, if your transmission fucks up I, – well,
0: I mean, there are certain things, but, like, if, like, dogs wear out and shit, you're not pulling the engine and splitting cases – right which is the big problem the 90s bikes had people would be trying to slam into second gear just wearing out the dogs and to, like try to find a 93 600 anything that'll stay in second gear without popping back into neutral
1: right oh it's brutal exactly but yeah you you get all of this right off the bat. It's it's everything right there ready to go. And it's really everything that's kind of just not quite good enough to go race an AMA, but for fifteen grand. This is something any hooligan well, not any hooligan, but this is something you can make payments on. If that's really what you want. And you can just you can just be top of the mountain. Well, this is
0: evidence of Kawasaki's just continued extreme dedication to World Superbike. Right. And also, it's so Kawasaki because uh, as Honda improved their one liter with the CBR 1000 and all the R's, well, it came with a ridiculous price tag, and it was a significant leap because Honda only makes these leaps with their models every so often. And Yamaha, the R1, is not really the best anymore. It's just – it has so much support. It's Everyone knows every angle of it. Yamaha probably has trouble changing things at this point without upsetting people because they're like, well, all these other expensive parts that we bought aren't any good for this anymore, then. Right? Right. Like uh uh uh, Calyx, who makes um, you know, those those Moto 2 frames and everything. You know, they make things like like $5,000 triple trees for R1s and if 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 Yamaha changed it up he would be like then why did i buy this fucking triple tree that i can't use anymore and and it's shit like that right so that's an issue
1: yeah they've just got all this technical debt around it like they can't they can't move on they're too mm-hmm. entrenched in this aftermarket right but this is at the core
0: of what Kawasaki is all about Cause it's cause Kawasaki isn't a motorcycle company. It's Kawasaki Heavy Industries.
1: They're motorcycle hobbyists. Yeah, as they're as, very good motorcycle hobbyists.
0: Because well, yeah, if you think about uh, cultures that value performance motorcycles, you know, it, it's uh, in whatever order you know, like um, you know the the UK. Germany, America, of course, Australia, but Japan is one of the most rabid motorcycle cultures. It really is. And it's it's a source of national pride, like it was for Britain in the 50s and 60s. The Japanese know that they have mastered sport bikes, and it is a national pride sort of thing that they make such good ones. It really, you know, and uh, Kawasaki does it for the prestige of doing it, for the honor of doing it on behalf of the country. Like, Kawasaki makes fucking bullet trains. Kawasaki makes all sorts of insane things, as Emma like once said, Satellites. They make jet fighters. Yeah, they make the robots that assemble Hondas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's insane. They do this purely for fun and honor. Yeah, not even fun, just honor. So it doesn't surprise me that as the rest of the one-liter bike world has kind of stayed really static, even in their base model, Kawasaki has still been upping their game every year quietly, and their base model bike is completely premium because the Gixxer 1000 – Yeah, it still makes great horsepower and it's competitive, but it doesn't have, like, all the crazy rider modes. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles. It's kind of bare bones. And that's fine. Suzuki's a much more basic company like that. They're late to the party on everything. And we'll talk more about that later with the GSX-S1000. But. Of course, it. I would expect no less from Kawasaki to just be quietly killing it when nobody fucking cares about this category of bike anymore. One liter superbikes are like just completely uncool. Like they've been so uncool that the that the naked bikes they were replaced with are starting to become uncool. Yeah. The, this was. But they're oh, yeah. still going full send on. Of course, they're Kawasaki and they made a commitment when they realized that they weren't going to dump all the money into MotoGP like 20 years ago that Honda was. They went to World Superbike and have just been fucking dominating.
1: Uh, yeah, it also has, uh, turn signals integrated into the mirrors
0: we do like that yeah. which i am a big fan it's very buell cr yeah um at this point because it's an uncool bike anyway i don't care about the bad kawasaki styling it doesn't bother me as much and also super bikes are supposed to be loud and in your face so it's a pro- it's not my favorite
1: looking bike but eh, it's fine well you know after a certain point, there is kind of just like a little bit of prestige from being ugly. Like yeah. this is kind of becoming a thing now, and and maybe this is just what old people saw in all of their fashions. You know, after a certain point, it's sort of like the MV Agusta logo, or the uh, or the Moto Guzzi logo. Yeah, after a certain while, you know, after a while, you know right away, you know, as soon as you create it, your logo looks really good. And then 10 years later, it looks really dated and awful. And you may think that you want to change it and update it to keep with the times. But if you just wait, if you just if you just wait it out, eventually it'll become so horrendous that people won't can't help but think that it's prestigious. Right. And Kawasaki's I think is kind of playing the long game here with just making their bikes just more and more outlandishly ridiculous and off the pulse that eventually people are going to look at these and think, wow, that must be a really fancy bike.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. What the, the great thing about this bike too is um, well and actually the, the, this isn't very specific to this bike this is kind of true of all leader bikes now because leader bikes aren't the phenomenon that they were 10 years ago or 15 years ago you're not grabbing that much attention anymore this doesn't gra- this doesn't get you any more any more wow factor than a ninja 400 to most people and even most motorcyclists they're just all very complicated looking two-wheel contraptions right like oh that thing's sporty is that thing really fast i don't know right a lot of motorcyclists don't know the difference between Shouldn't a ninja that thing 400 do 100 and miles an hour right like... yeah many times yeah. over sir <laughs> well no the I wonder what the top speed is on this. I bet it's, well, it's going to be limited to 165, but um, yeah, the True, the True is probably closer to 180 something. Anyway, well, I guess it depends on the gearing, doesn't it? But you can change that. Oh, geez, it's complicated. Anyway, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't get that wow factor. So it's for a certain self-satisfaction that you purchase this, which is a new look for sport bikes, right? Right. Maybe it's moving into a quietly smug sort of zone, rather than than put a the pink you know glue on mohawk on your helmet territory that it was, and well, at the very least, I'm thankful that we're out of the beer belly moto journalists. I only ride leader bikes. Thank you, zone. Right? They've they've all officially every moto journalist on the planet has been legally obligated to buy an adventure bike now.
1: Well, it's like how it's acceptable to drink um or a CB five hundred X. It's it's like how it's acceptable to drink PBR now because all the hipsters have moved on to their Raspberry IPAs.
0: Yeah. Like there's yeah, a little I got bit got of earlier back.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of a if 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 PBR made an IPA this whole time, this would be that. This bike would be that beer. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Another <laughs> shocking <laughs> revelation from <laughs> Nogomoto. Okay, are we ready to move on to worst bike in the world this week? Uh, let's do it. Okay. Um. <laughs> And the worst bike in the world this week is, it's no single bike. I'm, this is another week where I cheat. The worst bike in the world this week is the sacred cow. So this is where I'm going to reach out an olive branch to Cleveland Moto. They were saying, look, everyone loves the Briton. It's hollowed ground. It's very serious. It's, it's it's regarded as heresy to say anything against this. But that's boring. You can't just talk about the same eight bikes over and over and over again. And they're fucking right. Um, the, there's, like, people need to fucking get over the Triumph Bonneville. I mean, sure, it's great. It has its place in history. It's not the be-all and end-all. It's not even the be-all and end-all of bikes from the time. There's so much more interesting stuff, right? And it, Cleveland Motor was was rightly defending how they're into weird, fetishy bikes. Because, yeah, eventually you get there. And in in recognition of that, I mean, what we've been through... Uh, a lot of sport tours, a lot of just straight on sport bikes, plenty of standard bikes. Uh, I've got a big touring bagger. So does Dad. We've gone through two stroke Vespas, now dirt bikes and pit bikes and things. I mean, we are all over the map because yeah, well, we are not we're, the we're kind of people. We're proper moto sluts, exactly. Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Moto We are not going to settle on a single thing. And we are constantly selling and buying bikes because there's just too many bikes to have, but there are these people that just get stuck on a bike and it's very much like the blue scale. I don't know. I'm kind of tempted to pick up that guitar and like illustrate this, but it would get very,
1: very stupid very soon, but well we could, but you're not going to edit this episode and I don't want to set up the board for you. Well, so.
0: I could just hold it for the mic, but we're not going to do that for a lot of reasons. Uh, here here's we go. Um talking about things like uh, bikes that are on this list like okay, Vincent Black Shadow, the the Briton, the Ariel Square Four, the Triumph Bonneville, the CB750. What else is on this list? Um the R1, like the classic R1, has become part of this list. The, um, uh, I mean the even the the GS twelve hundred. It's so iconic from 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 Long
1: Way Round and this and that. These well, apparently b- enough for uh, Suzuki to remake the Katana.
0: Yeah, I, th- I- there's just so many of these sacred cow bikes. These these things you can't say anything against. But also, they just—you know—we've said you, you talk to an old guy about bikes, and you can just count it down. You know, like in two minutes, he's going to say Ariel Square Four, and then he's going to say BSA Bantam forty-five seconds after that, and then eight minutes after that, he's going to say CB Seven Fifty. But then he thinks he's going to be clever and throw in, you know, a uh, Norton Commando, and 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 catch us off guard, or he's going to say Trident. And catch us off guard or he's going to say, you know, and you just know how that's going to go. And you just end up talking in these circles about bikes. That's why people of the shows in Best Worst Bike, we, we try to bring something different every week. Whether we're right or wrong about it doesn't really matter, you know. And uh, other podcast hosts have been a little curious as to why I wanted to kick up some dirt with this top 10 bikes list. And it, it's the same reason that Phil did. It's just fun to talk about bikes that people aren't expecting. It's fun to bring up new shit and and cast light on these things in a different way.
1: Yeah, I okay, so something else I want to throw in here is you know, having your sacred cows is is one thing. But you know, you know, every old guy will bring up the Ariel Square 4 and the Vincent Black Shadow and that's this kind of it all follows this rote thing. But it gets a little bit pedestrian. If you really want to set yourself apart as a as a true moto slut, as a true hardcore aficionado of motorcycles, I want your favorite motorcycle to be the dumbest piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. You need to be so porn-ruined that you're on to the most obscure nonsense you can possibly find.
0: Like a big ruckus?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, we celebrate the big ruckus and things like that. Cause even if they're, or, or, the, or the Bergman 650 or whatever. Because even if they're not great, sometimes they're just so perfectly offbeat. Right? Right. That's very satisfying. But
1: there's something great about it where you look at it and you think, this is fucking terrible. But some guy thought he had, like, cracked the Enigma code on, like, this one particular segment of the market. And he was a genius. And then he convinced somebody with money to put it together. And then built a whole supply chain around it. And then got dealerships to take it off. It's amazing when these absolute disasters show up on dealer room floors. Yeah. Yeah, it really
0: is. I mean, it doesn't happen as often anymore, but it does happen here and there, especially in the electric world right now. It's happening a lot. There, oh, we'll the, get on to that later. Yeah. But, oh, 15 years from now, electric bikes in worst bike in the world this week was going to be such a target rich environment. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, so uh, let let me put it this way. Um, this is the same phenomenon that killed the blues. So uh, talk, so so the aerial square four is you know a, a sort of hallowed ground thing, and it's one of those things where you remember like for a long time, a lot of people were just like Eric Clapton's the 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 greatest the greatest guitar player in the world, and that was just like this weird common knowledge thing. Right. Eric club is the best. There we go. And and guys who are like, you know, 70 now, you know, might even still maintain that, which is an insane idea, (laughs) but whatever. Right. And they'll still be like, Oh, triumph Bonneville is the greatest thing. Greatest bike ever. Hands down. Triumph Bonneville. They'll get, Oh, that's, that's the best. That's the one for me. Right. And they're just people who haven't progressed. Right. and, And then at this point, the Triumph Bonneville is sort of this, like, 1980s Eric Clapton, right? And the solos aren't really that flashy anymore. It's a lot of just single note line, not really very many accidental notes, nothing really interesting happening, pleated pants, sort of very safe thing, and... Then you get all these uh, these throwback retro bikes, which have a very sort of Kenny Wayne Shepherd, Johnny Lang, and the Big Bang kind of Susan Tedeschi sort of watered down version of that. And pretty soon you've got a category called White Blues, and it's it's just tired. And it's the same gimmick over and over again. I've been trying to figure out what I don't like about these throwback bikes for a long time. And they're just white blues, is what
1: they are. It's got very 2001 real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do not yeah, I mean, know isn't that so... what's going on? Yeah, you know... <sighs> I'm trying to. Th- I'm thinking about it now because the first bike that I wanted to get was a Triumph Bonneville, and so this was like five, six years ago. Because you know I got my license pretty late, but I wanted a Triumph Bonneville. But at the time, I was broke as shit, and I think it was good that I was broke as shit. Because the worst thing I could have done was go out and buy, like, an 07 Bonneville. Well, I don't know. That's not a bad bike. I don't think I would have been on the journey that I am now if I had started with the bike that I wanted. Because, you know, I it, it I was looking around. as like, oh, you know, you can get bikes fairly cheap. You know, I was looking around. as like, oh, like $6,000 cash right now i don't know and then scouring around it's like well a lot of these cbs are kind of cool you know like a a 650 or, or a 750 in some sort of decent shape would be okay and then i saw the cb 1000 i was like the 1000 that's even better yeah <laughs> <laughs> well no because like i had to convince either you or dad to go with me because i didn't have a truck at this point and i needed somebody to cart this thing off and there was some nego- there was some like diplomacy taking place like this is not a crazy idea but then i got it and you know got through all the weird quirks of older hondas and got to ride this big ridiculous machine and then got to think about what i wanted next And then I got the W650, and then I got the Norge, and all sorts of other ridiculous bikes after that. But I don't think I would have gone down the path that I would have if I just got the bike that I thought was the top of the mountain for me right away. And I think that's kind of a little bit of a problem with having these sacred cows. Where, like, if you have this this end goal in mind and it's something that you can just have on credit right away. It's kind of a terrible thing. Cuz it will just it'll just put blinders on you and keep you yeah. from going in all these different directions. Yeah, I
0: weirdly realized this the uh when I got my first bike. Cuz when I got my first bike was the very earliest days of the sort of second wave cafe racer sort of um Thing. there were still plentiful cb 350s around that were unmolested back in those days right uh and i mean god i think i got my first book 0203 maybe 03 something like that anyway um so nearly 20 years ago uh but the uh there was like i said the, the cafe racer craze was not fully on yet and um I mean, it was ramping up, but it wasn't, it wasn't full on. It was still people had to be told what it was. Hipsters didn't know. Uh, bike people knew before. People think hipsters brought it back. Now, bike people brought it back, then hipsters caught on to it. But anyway, um, I thought I wanted like a, a CB750 Cafe Racer or a big-ass Harley. And I was like, dead set. This is what I got to have. I got to have. This is what I got to have. I got to be super vintage. I got to, I'm so off th- I'm such an old soul. I know what it's really like, man, even though I've never ridden a fucking bike. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and at a certain point, someone told me like, no, you should just get whatever the first amazing deal you can find is. And I don't know why, but I listened to him. And I think it's because rather than wait for the perfect bike, I just needed a bike then and there. And I got a, uh, a, a CB650 Nighthawk for like 700 bucks. And there was not a damn thing wrong with it. It was perfect. All it needed was a new battery. But there was nothing mechanically wrong. Oh, wait, that's not true. The Speedo didn't work. But other than that, it really, really was
1: great. Details.
0: Details. Um yeah. Well, I think one of the turn signal stems was starting to sag a little bit, the way those 80s Honda rubber turn yeah. signal stems do. But they were also attached and everything. It was great. It was absolutely great. And I, I mean, I fucked that bike up. But a year later after that, I had a much better idea of what I actually wanted. And you're right. It's, it's mind frame. You're, you're, you got to be on a journey you can't the worst thing that can happen is you just get your your dream bike right away especially if it's some sort of sacred cow i mean god not only that but a lot of these bikes would be a nightmare to own right yeah. It's just not really feasible these days. They they all just kind of exist as museum pieces more than anything. Even the ones that aren't really that valuable. I mean, if you want a really nice '60s Bonneville, you could attain that for like eight nine thousand dollars, right? They're not that crazy special. I don't know, maybe ten thirteen thousand dollars. I but it's not that insane. But god damn, it's a thing you're... you could have, but you wouldn't want it yeah, you're not really going to be riding it all that often
1: and not in a spirited way. So I, uh, well, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, for $3,000, you can have a pet cougar. Good luck with that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah.
0: Well, well, again, it also it's one of these things that uh, just constantly – I mean, it's fine. Everyone's got to go through this. Everyone's got to have that point. Most people get hung up on one of these bikes at some point, right? There's not there's no way around it. But I guess what I say, you know, a lot of guitarists get to the point where they learn this blues scale, and it's just enough to make it think make people think that you really know how to play, and then progress stops. And you never really get any better. And there's a lot of people that are into bikes and they learn some of these classic models. They learn a couple brand names that don't exist anymore. And then that's just sort of it. And if that's only the level you want to be at, well, that's fine. But understand there is a much weirder world out there and it's a lot of fun. You're only cheating yourself because appreciating this stuff, knowing about this stuff really doesn't cost a lot. I mean, the amount of joy that is the weirdness that is the big ruckus, right? And because like, you just take something like that, like you can pick up a big ruckus for like no fucking money and it's a fucking Honda. Like it's going to run and be fairly reliable. And because everyone knows what a ruckus is, you will bring joy and weirdness into the life of so many people. They're like, this is a what you're like, you know, the ruckus, well, this is a big ruckus. And people will go, what? And it'll cost you fucking almost nothing. And it and your life will just have this joy in it that it didn't have to, but now it's there, right? And there's so many examples of those. These, these really fetishy next-level bikes are usually so unappreciated that they're just garbage to most people. <laughs> and, you know, that one man's trash another treasure, but that really is a great thing. But... When I'm when I'm rolling through Craigslist, and I see something like, I don't know, what's another what's another super duper weird one that no one gives a shit about, like a Honda Gyro? Yeah, like a Honda Gyro, or um, what was one I saw the other day? Oh, there was a really great PC eight hundred for sale in like Lakewood for like twenty six hundred dollars the other day, and I was like, oh. There's so there's I need to buy these other parts for things right now instead. But oh, six months ago, <laughs> you know. I, yeah, I don't know. I guess we don't really need to say that much more about this. We got a lot more show to get to. But the the motorcycle sacred cow. It's the white blues of the motorcycle world. Really, what? Why are we still? Rev- Why are you still revering Eric Clapton? A, a quick YouTube search will show you much more interesting, and the same is true for motorcycles. Okay. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. Yeah, let's take a quick break. We haven't... Yeah, with the sound limit. <laughs> <laughs> and magically we're back. So, we're going to do some news, some events, some um, some catch up on things. So, first of all, r- what are we doing with riding and the year? Well, it's official. Nokamoto is going to Mid-Ohio Vintage Days. You I want this so much. I'm going to promise you this that if somehow something happens some variant gets out of control and they cancel mid Ohio vintage days. I will show up with a fucking RV, some broken spare parts from my shed, my our Vespas, the kids' mini bikes, a case of schlitz, and I will have a one man <laughs> vintage days by myself in the fucking field. And anyone else that wants to show up can be there with me. Okay, I give you a one uh, a one hundred and six percent chance that (laughs) this event is happening, because even if the AMA itself cancels it, I will take on the responsibility of hosting this event because God damn it. But I was looking forward to IMS happening. That ain't happening here anymore. Right. IMS's schedule is basically just says, well, here's some dates of cities we might be in, but don't believe any of this is basically what their website says. So we are going to mid Ohio vintage days. Check it. Uh, I believe a lot of podcasts are going this year. I think this is going to be a big ass party. And I, we've been told so many times we need to go to this. So there we go. Also, Nokomoto, well, at least me and dad and, and cam are going to Sturgis as well because fuck it. Right. Sturgis actually happened last year, right? <laughs> like Isle of Man didn't happen. The Indy 500 didn't happen. I mean, like nothing happened, but God damn it, Sturgis happened. So you bet your ass Sturgis is happening this year. And we came close to going, but again, we, we decided at the last minute we didn't want to be in the middle of someone's ideological war. So we, we canceled uh, us going. But well, that and
1: dad's like was 68 and never, really wasn't a good idea on the math. It, it's true. But anyway, it, it you know, I,
0: I think more than anything, I mean, for me, it was just like, it became, it became so politicized and we're just not about those issues on this show. And it's yeah. not what we're about at all. Um, you know, we kind of, we see both sides, or we tend to, and there was just no way to do that. There's no way to go and be neutral. So yeah. we were it was it the idea was a little bad taste in our mouth. Uh on uh, early next month there is a national motocross race happening at Thunder Valley in Lakewood, Colorado, which me and the kids are for certain going to, or maybe just me, we'll see. Uh so if any of our listeners who have mentioned to us that they would want to do possibly one of our in-person bike reviews that would be a good day for that it's june 5th i think it's june it's 5th or the 8th i think it's the 5th june 5th so i'm going to that and so i'll get at least one live race in early this year uh we were going to go to ims we're not doing that and then i mean who knows what we're going to do later on uh by the end of, by september november if if MotoGP does happen, which, I mean, there's like a, what, 10% chance that's going to happen. We'll go to that, but I don't know. We'll see. And uh, we were going to do our Mexico trip, our our Road to Vesperado scooter trip this year, but, um, well... Swig and I are both having passport issues, so we actually have to <laughs> postpone that until spring of next year or November of next year. But we are definitely going to do that, and we are definitely going to try to to, to get as many listeners or appropriate people that want to come along on that as possible, because that's going to be freaking epic whenever that – when that does happen, either next spring or a calendar year from when we originally planned. So November 2nd, 2022, perhaps. But there we go. So that's what's going on with us and events. But let's talk about some bike releases. So we have thoughts on the 2021 Suzuki GSX-S1000. This is only getting brief mentions in other podcasts and press and that's kind of what's so remarkable about this bike this is the most Suzuki Suzuki has ever been
1: well like being a decade late to a trend yes
0: as we, as I said earlier about the your best bike the naked bikes that replaced these leader bikes are now becoming uncool right I, I don't know what the... What is attractive to people about these, quote, naked bikes or these street fighters? It's, I think it's just that they look different from leader bikes, right? They're slightly cheaper versions of sport bikes that look different because people just couldn't deal with the same fairings over and over again. And if you look at sort of – if you made a graph of the most popular years of naked bikes – those are the years that on fared sport bikes the fairings get smaller and smaller and show off more of the engine and everything to try to be more Street Fighter-y.
1: So this is this has like direct ties to the fashion industry. Yeah. Cause when you think about it, yeah, you can trademark certain things and you can copyright certain stuff and yeah, there's only so much so much in IP protection you can have for a lot of the stuff that they make. And if you look at like the clothing industry, and you look at like the super high fashion brands and the expensive brands and like the the cheap stuff like going to JCPenney. Was JCPenney still around? Uh I don't know. The Walmart clothing section Mainstays. Then, <laughs> then, you know, because you can't really have any kind of intellectual property over what you design, all the stuff that people actually like to wear ends up in the cheap clothing stores because they can just sell it volume. They can make it super cheap. It goes out there. All the, fi- all the high fashion stuff has to be fucking horrendous because you're selling based on the name brand. You're selling based on the fact that it's expensive, and you're selling on the fact that's recognizable. And so it all looks like a fucking disaster, but because there's all this culture built around all this um, all this culture Hype. well this this culture built around conspicuous consumption, okay. okay, so that you know it's prestigious to look like a piece of shit because of the fact that by looking awful, everyone can recognize that everything you're wearing is expensive. So there's this kind of weird back and forth that happens between affordable clothing and expensive clothing. Now, what really oh, sucks. Yeah, cause
0: they, cause every like eight or nine years, they flip as well. You can see some car designs. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, luxury cars right now kind of look like nineties sedans. They're right. very smooth and understated. Because that was, that was the cool thing in the night. Right, because every now, Honda
1: Civic has a big fucking spoiler on it.
0: Right, which is what was really cool from like 2000 to
1: 2010. Right. right. Yeah. But what really fucking sucks is to be the jackass who's late to the party
0: and yes. doesn't
1: know that it's flipped again.
0: And thus <laughs> enter the GSX-S1000. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, enough people have bought Panigale Street Fighters and woken up from the party, looked in the garage and gone, what the fuck did I spend eighteen grand on? <laughs> Why did I think this was worth the same money for none of the styling <laughs> and, and fairing? Um yeah, well also when you talk about decades and looks like 2008 to 2018 is all about geometric designs. And wow, I feel really sorry for everyone that got like, you know, honeycomb inside honeycomb like arm sleeve tattoos. And all of that bullshit, you know, that then turns into a tree and whatever. It's like, oh, bro. That's all going to have to get turned into just straight black. (laughs)
1: There's nothing else for it. It's okay. Time will move on. And eventually you'll be dead and it'll be (laughs) over. You know? (laughs) Right. So this is the
0: geometric design arm sleeve of motorcycles, except someone just got it yesterday. Yeah. By the same token, the exact same motorcycle, one that we weren't sure was real. Talk about being late to the game, the Harley Davidson Pan America. What... Oh, Harley-Davidson. Ooh, we're coming out with something completely different than we normally do. Oh, it's an adventure bike. What a mainstream milk toast option, right? Uh, oh, let's just pick the second, our next best choice for top-selling categories of bikes 55-year-olds are getting because they're comfortable, right? Uh, sorry, the adventure craze losing steam.
1: I, uh, I don't know entirely about that because the fact that they did actually release the Pan America is kind of a big deal in and of itself. Well, it would be if the Livewire wasn't real. They already did that. No, it. Well, no, because. Th- They've actually released the motor and they've actually released the bike and it can now evolve from here. Now, the Pan America's is going to have some degree of prestige because it's a first year bike of a, of a new frame and a new motor. That's all going to be interesting and it's going to last on that alone. I don't think that's quite in the same category. Especially because now it can also evolve. We may see some liquid-cooled cruisers. We may see just a straight dedicated touring non-cruiser bike come out of it, we could see all sorts of things come out of that. Listen to what you're saying.
0: You're like, oh, this is great because of this one component of the bike. You couldn't give two shits about the bike itself. Look,
1: (laughs) (laughs) you just proved my point. No, No, I think there will be some charm in it from that aspect alone. Well also I I have not actually seen a an actual production version of this bike yet. I have no idea what it's like. It could be a fucking disaster, I don't know. But I believe from
0: everything I've seen it's the version that we saw at at AIM and, I, and IMS. Right. Like the bike was ready to go for some time. But I, it's like they were they were like, let's concentrate on one release at a time. So they're like, oh, electric, live wire, let's do that. And now that people basically canceled that bike for not saving
1: the world, <laughs> they're like, okay, here we go. All our eggs in the Pan America basket. Are there only like 10 people working at Harley-Davidson Corporate? What's uh, There might be. There have been <laughs> cutbacks. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true uh <laughs> i don't know i uh i i, I cannot rule anything on the harley davidson at this point i
0: i just think it's really toast and it's really safe and it's kind of this suzuki move here it's late to the party now if you look at the specs and the price of this thing well of course it's really compelling if you're still in the market for a street
1: fighter but who really is? Oh, one other thing is, for the Suzuki, I do want to give it an award, a paper plate award, for the most honest advertising of all time. Oh, yeah. In that the bike is stolen in the release ad, which is really yeah. just getting you kind of emotionally prepared for Jigsaw for, uh, ownership.
0: Well, not only that, I I think it's really fitting in theme with the entire bike because every element of the styling of this is stolen. I love how there's <laughs> almost well, look at the look at the way the uh, the faux tank angles forward towards the forks with what appears to be fake radiator shrouds on the side of it, a la KTM Super Duke. Uh, the the headlight and everything—it's all straight off a, a Ducati Street Fighter. It's. Every single piece of this, those turn signals are ripped off. The way they're mounted high above the light, there, it's all it's all derivative of other bikes. They're even stealing
1: the fraud.
0: Yeah, there's nothing original about it. It has no soul of its own. There's, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. If there's a Suzuki dealer near you, and you still think that the, the 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 naked bikes are great. I mean, we were thinking like oh I guess everyone's going this naked way and then I started looking at it and I was like because like you know when we were talking with Liza just a couple months ago I was like oh I guess it's all going towards this sort of mid displacement standard bike sort of thing or you know and uh, I I don't know like. The idea of trying to jump in on a craze is insane because at any given moment, there's too many crazes going on anymore. There is no unified culture whatsoever. So the whole idea of trying to jump onto, oh, adventure bikes are a big category. Oh, naked bikes are a big category. Like for how long? What, for the next 10 minutes? What?
1: Well, the uh, and, the parallel and, and, and twin thing is, is still going on. I mean, Yamaha, well, despite the fact that, well, I guess it, it's kind of actually following and getting a little bit of validation for Moto America in that um, the blanking on it uh mt07 is now getting a fully fared version
0: oh the r7 we yeah yeah
1: you got the r7 well the r7
0: out. is just a more compelling cb500r it's not uh. really a 700 it's not really a 750 i mean it's fine but like as a sport
1: bike well I mean, no it's equivalent to an sv650 but just fair it's I guess that's
0: true. Which
1: is, you know, equivalent to the new uh the new Aprilia which is equivalent to, you know, the KTM 850 whatever the fuck it is. But you know, like this whole parallel twin this it's all high
0: 70s low 80s horsepower uh, compromised sport bike thing.
1: Right. It's this new category of Well, well salaries we and wages bikes. aren't going up, but we can keep the price point the same against inflation by going for these twins instead of inline fours. Like there's this new category evolving. Well,
0: this is the first thing that proves us right from from the early episodes of this show. It, I'm sure within the first 10 episodes of this show, we talked about things like the CBR 650 f and and then eventually would turn to the cbr 650r and things like my old zx 600 and how lower horsepower compromised sport bikes are such a fun wonderful thing right and we predicted the market would get a lot more of them in the next few years bam three and a half years later here we are two and a half years i don't know how long it's been 2018 19 yeah three and a half fucking geez um yeah, here we are and it's a reality. Guess what? We do somewhat have our fingers on the fucking pulse. And we we love those bikes. But this this I I did not foresee this. I I don't know what
1: this I'm just imagining the guys by this I'm getting
0: back to the GSX-S1000. We were talking about the Pan America and other things.
1: Well, I'm I'm kind of thinking about this now, and I'm just kind of thinking about, you know, a few weeks ago when they updated their website, I'm imagining them listening to the first episode where I mentioned how horrendously out of date their website was, and that they just got it and they had updated the website, and I'm imagining like 18 months from now, they're going to hear the episode where we trash them on this bike for being way out of date and off the pulse. And just thinking, oh Jesus Christ! <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's gonna happen. I do enjoy the new website website layout. It's very simple, which I always appreciate in web design.
1: It's nice. It's clean. Okay.
0: Um. Let's see. What else did we? Oh. Swigs, you need to go on a rant about the new
1: Climb Air Vest. Okay. I may have had two more beers than I wanted to at this point. You know, but
0: I know that I'm not going to get to talk for eight minutes, so I'm going <coughs> to reach over here and grab one of your beers. Oh, jeez.
1: Okay. Anyway. So I wanted to talk about this like four weeks ago. But then we had... Um, some stuff came up. I got COVID. You got. Which, we talked with Eric. A lot's yeah. gone down. Which, by the way, is very selfish of you. <laughs> I won't belabor the point, but well, let's just move on. Um, so, a lot of people have been talking about this climb air vest. You know, the AI one, which is the the smart air vest with the with the price plan and i guess we're, we're we're kind of a little bit off we're a little bit behind but i want to talk about it because there's something very important there's a very important piece of this story that everybody is leaving out and a lot of the arguments against this model have been shot down but honestly, they're all horrible points that don't even address the real problems behind what's going on with this vest. So just to lay this out, we're talking about you you will have heard this story as the Climb AI1 smart vest, or vest, whatever they called it, which is this collaboration between Climb and a company called in and motion. And I didn't mumble over that and you didn't hear it wrong. It's just a horrible name. It's a French company. Just just roll with it. Okay? So what's going on here is that this company In and Motion has developed this combination of IMU and software. That what it will do is it will do all of the calculations to determine whether or not to set off your airbag vest. In the same way that the physical cord on a Helite or all the software on you know the Tech Air or any other vest will go off for the, you know the Dionysi. All it says is fire or don't fire. That's its whole job. And that's all been developed by one company called Inemotion. But what they've done is they've gone to all these companies, and I think there's like six or seven. And in each different market, whether it's North America or Europe or you know East and West Europe, parts of Asia, they, they've all they've segmented all these markets and they've picked a company, and for each of those, they've picked one. To develop a vest to go with this system. And the way they've marketed it. Is they say. Sell the vest and the unit. For just whatever your MSRP is. For the vest you designed to be compatible with this. And then. We're going to have our own subscription model. For the hardware and software that goes with the vest. Now, I believe for the climb in the US, it was something like, rather than pay $750 for the Tech Air 5, what you can do is you can buy this vest for $400, and then either pay some varying subscription prices or outright buy the software and hardware aspect for the electronics for another $400. It's kind of being marketed as, oh, well, you can be out the door and have this airbag vest for $400, and you're ready to go and ride. And maybe you pay a little bit more over time, but it's fine because it's so much cheaper to get it out the door. Now, everyone thinks that this is... Well, a lot of people have instinctively come out this as a raw deal and a weird thing. And they're right, but they're right for all the wrong reasons. A lot of people are coming out this with this idea of, oh, well. Yeah, if I don't pay my bill, I die
0: now. That's what right.
1: Which is bullshit. Bullshit because no you you if you buy something on layaway then yes you have to continue paying for it that's that's how financial transactions work but there's something a little bit more nefarious going on here because if you buy a tech air vest it's a tech air vest
0: well I, well I, it costs $240 to recharge
1: but yes well, let's actually make a little bit more simple. If you buy an SMH-10 today, or even better, if you buy an SMH-10 a hundred years from now... you a SENA or SENA SMH-10. Yeah, SMH 10, yeah the, a SENA SMH-10, like the... The breakthrough model that got everyone using Bluetooth sets. Yeah, the breakthrough model with no phone app whatsoever. If you buy one of those a hundred years from now, it's a unit... You may have to like replace the battery in it, but ultimately it's a functioning thing built on a standard that you can use and it will always work in the way that it was intended to work. And this is kind of like an extreme example, but there's no way that Sina could ever stop that from working. Cena couldn't just magically deactivate all SMH10s across the world because the firmware updates are out there. Even if they stopped sharing them from their website, you could go pull them down from somebody's website like they're out there. and it, And that's because the device just does what it's designed to do, which is just to function the way it's intended to in the way that you expect it to. But that's not how these vests work. Because by default, these vests will work for 48 hours, and then you have to give over your credit card to get them to continue to work. And you either have to buy the subscription plan or pay for them outright. And you may think, well, whichever way I go, you know, even if I just buy it outwards and say, oh, but, uh, buy it outright, and it's an $800 vest. Okay, well, I paid for it. I bought the vest for $400. I went and created an account. And I paid the, the extra $400 to buy the software outright. I own the vest now. No. You don't. You will never fully own this vest. I thought of a great way to
0: explain this to some people with a perfect 90s reference. This technology tethers it to the original manufacturer indefinitely. So think of this as sort of, you think you've bought it. Let's say you think you're a billionaire that bought a dinosaur from Jurassic Park, but in the red print is the lysine contingency.
1: (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) I like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Most thing. people have no idea what I just said, and 12 people
1: shit their pants. <laughs> okay. That was good. Yeah, so, okay, so the way this vest works is if you buy the plan where you pay month to month, or if you pay year to year, if you pay month to month, the then you have to sync it with your phone or connect it to your Wi-Fi router and connect it with an account you have with the company in Inbox. If you pay month to month, then every time you connect it to your phone, it'll check to see if your subscription is active, and it will be active for one month. After that, if it doesn't connect to the internet for another month, then it'll deactivate, and it won't start up again so that you can use it. Or if you do it for a year, then it will need to connect every year. But even if you buy it, It still has to connect every year, which means essentially the default mode of the software on this device is sort of like having Windows on a computer. Every time it starts up, every time it runs, it's doing a license challenge, which its default assumption is that you don't own this and that it shouldn't work. And then it has to pass some qual- some certification to say that it should start working. Now, that may be okay if you're just going to be a regular consumer and you're going to buy this. You're going to wear it. You're going to use it and take advantage of that safety and security. And then eventually you're going to throw it into the closet or throw it in the trash and never use it again. Never sell it, never trade it on, and never pass it down to anybody else. Which means that there is potential equity in the product that you are actively being denied. Because if you were to try and sell to somebody else, which most people probably won't do, but some people will do, and lots of people will hand it down to somebody else, But there is a planned obsolescence built into this because the device, the actual certification that makes the device uh, last in perpetuity is tied to your account within Inbox, which has your name, your phone number, your home address, and your credit card associated with it. So if you want to sell this on Craigslist, I hope you're okay with passing all of that information on. Maybe they've done all of their, their internet commerce you know, uh, certification properly and they don't get your credit card. But they're going to have your phone number and your home address. There's no way to pass it on without passing that information on and that is not worth a premium that's that's comp- that should be compensation towards you you know facebook is free because they sell your data facebook doesn't charge you a premium to steal your data like so this whole economic model of this product is bizarre and if we accept it here like, if this becomes normalized, it, it will start to get more insane. You might see this with things like heated gloves. You might see this with software updates to motorcycles where you may buy a bike, purchase a software upgrade, and that software upgrade isn't transferable to the next buyer which essentially means that it's money you light on fire unless you hold on to that bike forever. Imagine how, if this is going to ha- occur within an airbag vest, how many individual products could you simultaneously be wearing on a motorcycle that you could have both a subscription plan for and a license contract that's being enforced every time you go for a ride how many points of how many points of failure of digital contract law are you going to invoke every time you go to ride
0: this is a bum deal so this isn't motorcycle specific but the phenomenon is some in these words justified It's what younger people are into, or younger people don't want X, has become this justification for all sorts of new financial ideas, which are batshit bonkers. Remember when the gigging economy was cool five, six years ago, and it was like, yeah, you know, just had a little spare time, so just did a little Postmates here and there, totally not a big deal, did on my e-bike. Oh, feel, got a little exercise, middle a little dough, you know what I'm saying? And now, who is doing that delivery? The poorest fucking people in the country, and they're being exploited to do it. Okay. I run a restaurant. I can tell you DoorDash, Grubhub, all these. It's straight up getting people who are already poor to just leverage value out of their vehicles. That's all it is. It's horrible. It is horrible. Um and, and and but it was all like oh you know like people don't don't want uh don't seem to want income from just one source anymore it's the gig economy you, know, you do a little bit here a little bit there whatever nobody really wants that you want know people want one stable predictable good paying job okay you can't just say well, this is what people want these days so You're like oh people you, you the younger people don't want to own things anymore yes they do they just can't fucking afford it Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, they want to own things. They want to own their own homes. No, people are just going to, people seem to prefer to rent now. Yeah, because they can't afford to fucking buy houses. What are you talking about? They don't want to own. So, this is based on that idea. Oh, maybe people don't want to like totally own an airbag vest. They'd rather like, you know, just like put in their monthly payments. Right. Yeah, because so, you already normalized being so up to your eyeballs in debt that people are familiar with the concept of a monthly payment, and that is their reality because they don't have the capital up front to buy it. Yeah, because the world's expensive and, 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 and wages haven't risen with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, so also, however long you expect to own this vest, I hope it's shorter than you expect Inbox to exist as a company. Because if Inbox goes out of business and all their servers go down, well then, at maximum, within one year, your vest will cease to function. Because that's how it was designed. It has to go back and talk to the servers in order to reactivate itself. That's built into the default software. Now, this this vest also kind of offends me from... Well, I, I should also just point out that I feel I am particularly qualified to talk about this product, as a person who deals with all sorts of software licensing, and has a fair amount of experience with artificial intelligence, and is a big motorcycle person. I feel uniquely. And you
0: also own a mechanically operated motorcycle safety
1: air vest. I feel uniquely qualified to talk about this whole situation you probably are (laughs) like you
0: wear one of these vests that works on a completely different principle but yeah right so
1: what really upsets me about this is well there's there's another element of this as well which is that this is a product that it, that just inherently has planned obsolescence built into it. And I went so far, I, I got upset enough about this, I went and I read both terms of services, both for subscribing to the service and for buying it outright. The terms of service are bullshit. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Essentially, once you buy this vest for like $400 from some motorcycle shop from Climb, Climb's got their money. And then the moment you go to try and activate the the in box, it's like accepting a monkey's paw. Right. Like, it's, oh, by the way, once you, once you accept these terms of services, then you're uh, accepting to accept these subscription amounts. If you ever cancel it, then you have to mail us the device back. If it ever gets destroyed or stolen, you need to send us a police report and then also pay us the money. If you ever decide that you just don't want it, you know, you're going to send it back to us and then also pay out like the last two months of the the subscription. And then what else do you get out of it other than the bare minimum you were... You were offered initially? Nothing. But it's this really bizarre offer that can only, in every circumstance, can only work against you from the bare minimum that was offered. Which is still more expensive than the Tech Air 5, which will just be a vest all the time until the end of time.
0: Yeah, but the frustrating truth, and this is something we've said a couple times on the show before, and I think we should just spend five, you know, just a, just a couple minutes here discussing because this is also one of those Honda fucking hire us moments. The gentlemen's agreement where they all decided to limit the speeds of the 601 liter superbikes, like the big four could get together and do, just the big four would be enough of a force to enact this, if they just decided not every new motorcycle, but just the new motorcycles coming out with IMUs, which is an increasing number of them. And for the electric bikes is going to be nearly universal for the, for the more premium bikes. You just put a version of this software into the bike and the bike can have just like a magnet plug on the side of the tank. And you, every Every big four, you know, Suzuki, Kawasaki, Honda, you know, whatever, um, Yamaha bike with an IMU can have the standard plug. And then all the vest manufacturers can make a $400 version of their vest that uses the bike as the brain. And it's a feature, it's a selling feature for the bikes. The dealers will love it because they get to sell $400 vests. Instead of eight hundred dollar ones, it's going to be way more compelling for customers. It, all the hardware is already there on the bike. I mean, putting the the plug into the side of the the, the airbox cover is going to cost them what, like fifteen dollars in manufacturing. The hardware is already in the bike. The 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 CP, like the computer in the bike can easily handle this. It's just another. It's just reading data from the IMU as well. It's
1: two IO pins out of the imu and a little bit of software and an outlet that's it yeah it's it's it's, it's like twenty dollars a bike maybe yeah
0: and and you get to you get to install as a feature like oh by this wheelsman gets to go oh by the way you know it's like your first bike like you know, you got ABS and traction control. That's really great. For For $400 more, we can roll this into, you know, your loan payment, this air vest. This is the safest thing you can wear. Oh, no, it's electronic. It senses a crash. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, you don't have to charge it. It charges off the bike. You, you know, like all the problems are solved. And it could just be an agreement between the big four. Here's the protocol. Here's the IMUs. Here's the plug we're going to use. Just on bikes with IMUs, done. We don't need to get the law involved. Like the motorcycle industry has proven before that they can do this without regulation.
1: Yeah, it's essentially just OBD two. Re- yeah, reduce
0: it to the cost of a helmet, and and you've got something compelling. And like I said, just my my mechanically operated lights... I, you know, I got a new rider on the roads a couple weeks ago. Right. Just by going like, look, I know you're nervous about riding on this bike, but like, look, I have an airbag vest. And she was like, well, what? I didn't even know that was a thing. I was like, yeah, not many people really do or care, but it's totally a thing. Here's a video of how it works. And she was like, well, okay. Yeah. All right. And there you go. Like it's, it's compelling. Like non-motorcycle people will respond to the words airbag. It's, you know, air, the words airbag carry a lot of credibility with people.
1: Right. They're proven to work. So, I mean, really the last thing I want to say is there's one argument that I hear a lot and this is really in response to people who are talking about like, "Oh, if you don't pay your bill and you crash and your airbag doesn't go off and you die," and then other people which which is a dumb argument because yes, you do it, need to the agreement you, you do need to pay for the things that you use in order for them to work like that that's always been true, um but people say, "Well, well, they gotta make their money." Which is the dumbest argument of all time. Well, if you want to make your money, you need to make a compelling product. But also, it's, this, it's really, really cynical the way that it works out. Because the way this is working is, and it has to be IP protection. Because you've got this company that's creating this machine learning technology And I say machine learning loosely because they're using a machine learning algorithm to, they're using machine learning to generate an algorithm that basically says with a six axis IMU, airbag go off or airbag don't go off. But that's all they're really producing that they put into your, into yeah. your past. It, it, a
0: but, few thousand times, you know, every minute, it's asking, have we
1: crashed yet? Yes or no. Right. Which also, by the way, is what your car does and your car has been doing for like the last 35 years. It's not super sophisticated. It's a bit more sophisticated than your car because it's going on you rather than in a big car. But... It's also it's also kind of insulting to everybody who works at the company because everything all the ways that this is built up and all the protections that are essentially built into this and the way that it works is a sort of protecting this little bit of intellectual property in the algorithm that says whether the airbag goes off or not which is insane Because it kind of assumes that you know, creating a a design, getting electrical engineers to design this board, and then going and finding sourcing a company to go and make those boards, and creating a supply chain to get that to four different continents to sell it, and then creating business relationships with six different uh, gear manufacturers, and then integrating all of those products. And then all the web development and everything to go along with it isn't valuable that you have to create this really, really shitty consumer relationship in order to make your business plan work. Like, this is like NCAD MBA stamped all over it. I agree. This is an insane... an insane, we've also view. been going
0: on about this for nearly 40 minutes. Okay, which I know I do
1: all the time,
0: but we also have to get to some emails. Okay, do you have any of those brought up or do we need to take a break? I do not. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. This has been tech talk with Swiggy. <laughs> Alright, so it's ready for, uh, for finally, we're ready for what has been a long time since the last Swiggy reads the emails drunk, and I'll add and I rate. So <laughs> Swiggy reads the emails belligerently drunk
1: So, oh, what, what are we starting with, Swigs? What do we got? Alright, we got an email from Wayne, and this is uh, covering the touchy subject uh, subject of legacy fraud <laughs> And he says, hey guys, I hear you often talking about legacy fraud, so I thought I would give you my take. If a company person buys the name of a company no longer in business for the sole purpose of launching their product in hopes to gain an instant consumer base, then that, I believe, is legacy fraud. If a company person buys the name of a company no longer in business to continue in the spirit of the original company which, in my opinion, Polaris has done with Indian, I have no problem with that. All of the Indian bikes today are styled as if they had a normal progression from the original Indian company, even to the FDR. If it had no badges, you know it's an Indian. My two cents, keep up the good work.
0: Well, your two cents is in, like, life coin. Because... (laughs) It's wrong. And I'll keep going with that analogy. I need a little bit of a blockchain for this legacy fraud, yes or no situation. So Indian just straight up didn't exist for a long time. And then someone bought the name, tried to have a go of it, didn't work out. Then someone, again, completely separate, no employees, no tooling, no forms, no patents, no designs, no anything, moves on
1: to the next person. Just a copyright name. And they I'm sure multiple it it times fails. the name passed between a bunch of banks and VC firms and and whatever. I'm sure the name passed like ten times each time between somebody earnestly trying to start a motorcycle
0: company. Right. There's no no genetic information
1: remains right there's no person working at indian what well, i actually don't know this to be true but i assume there's no person working at polaris for indian today who worked for the original indian that actually released a bike
0: right now i can i can understand that at honda today there's no one that is there from Honda in 1950 something, of course, but at any given moment, it was passed from generation it, to generation. It's like how every cell in your body is different from seven years ago, but you're the same person because you didn't replace all those cells at once. Right. Right. The, so, so I need a little bit of, of an unbroken blockchain that proves that this name is actually this entity, that this is the unbroken life. Of this company, right? Now you yeah. can start a different company with the same name, hence Hinckley Triumph. And if you're a good company, you will earn respect on your own. And I have respect for Hinckley Triumph. What I don't have respect for is Polaris rebranding their victory bikes. Indian and putting since 190 fucking 9 or 8 or whatever fucking year on the side of the fucking cases cuz it's not not even close that's legacy fraud now an interesting one that's come up is the liquidators that bought EBR have just managed to wrangle the buell name off of Harley Davidson and that's going to be brought back because, well they they said they're going to come back. They're going to have some new models, but it seems that these new models might be ideas that EBR was working on that like, they had in the works, but weren't actually you know they were they were th- they were things that were down the pipeline, right? Models that they were going to release at some point. They had them in the works, and they're just going to pick up literally where EBR left off, is what it seems, and but the but the tooling is there it's it was bought you know the the genetics is there. I would assume they would want to hire back a lot of the same people. It's Eric Buell's designs, his vision, it's the genetic information is there, the chain is
1: unbroken, right, and if they release something completely original, it'll be an iteration of what came before. So there is some continuity. Yeah, it renews there.
0: the whole thing exactly. This continuity; it is the same entity, in a way. Well, no, in a very real way, in a very tangible way. You can be. You can even say like, "Well, okay, uh, we replaced almost all the people." But look, it's the same machines that like made these before. Like it's it, – it you know, there's there's a lot there. I mean and here's a great – and here's where, where it is really is unbroken. The liquidators that bought EBR, you're still able to buy an EBR. Like EBR actually still exists. It's just extremely limited production, right? It, it's going to go down in history that EBR Buell had this weird period where they only made like 20 bikes a year or some shit like that. And then they got back to full production when they got the Buell name back in. And the Buell name is important. You know you recognize the name. Anything that has name recognition is important. It carries a value and will help help your uh, odds of relaunching. Don't believe me? There's a movie coming out next year starring Vin Diesel entitled Rock'em Sock'em Robots. We don't know what the plot of this movie is. We don't know anything except it has an actor you've heard of and a name you recognize. So it's going to make money.
1: So in summary,
0: fuck your opinion. (laughs) Yeah, We are the arbiters (laughs) of what is and isn't legacy fraud, which is actually true because it's a term we invented. Well, Swiggy invented. So... Um but we appreciate but yeah, but yes. your contribution
1: to the argument. Yeah. I I yeah, I I I can see I can see the point of view. I I think mm, we we may need another term for this and there is like I can bring mm. back a style of silent film, but if I
0: start calling myself Charlie Chaplin, even if I buy Charlie Chaplin's name and likeness from the family or whatever company that owns it, I'm not fucking Charlie Chaplin.
1: Yeah. There there, there is there's is an element of identity that cannot be bought, even if it doesn't belong to a person. Like there there, there is something. Uh Yeah, I I can't go as far as you, Wayne, on this. I understand the point of view, but I reject it. Yeah, and it's a big
0: bummer to realize that Indian doesn't actually exist anymore. Because you're like, oh, Indian's back. That's so cool. They're not. It's an illusion. But anyway. And not to trash on the machines. The machines were great. I just liked them better when they were called Victory.
1: That's true, yeah. All right, next, uh, from Jay, he says, uh, just a bit of MotoGP chat. I think Rossi really needs to bow, bow out after the last season, consistently at the bottom. Good to see the Ducatis finally stretch their legs this Sunday. As for Moto3, I think there's big things in store for Pedro Acosta in the next few years, and Jay is not. A fucking ass jay sent this email three weeks ago so he was actually picking up on pedro acosta pulling some shit out yeah I just want that to be clear um again i have been saying for like three years now that rossi needs to retire Yeah, you were a solid 18
0: months ahead of me on that. But even (laughs) even I have been for at least 18 months, if not two years, also been like, hey. I think from the get-go of this podcast,
1: you were like, "Mm, Rossi's done. Well, I also had, I had a very, I had very much the benefit of fresh eyes in that my first year of following MotoGP was the year that uh Marquez and Pedrosa were consistently one and two. Or Marquez won every race and Pedrosa
0: got second, yeah.
1: Pedrosa traded second and third with Rossi.
0: Yeah.
1: That that was the year I came into actively following MotoGP.
0: Right, you never you've never seen Rossi ride in a dominant year. Right. And they But were I also magic got to years.
1: I also just with fresh eyes got to see the decline in action. Without any other any other um what's the word? I didn't have
0: I've used Michael Jordan a couple times at this point. And Rossi, now that he's on the Patronus team, this is like that weird time when Jordan went back to the NBA Oh, with the Wizards? With the Wizards. Yeah. (laughs) Rossi is Michael Jordan with the Wizards right now. Like, it's not not what it was. It's just not.
1: And... uh... Well, what if he was just... and, And, you know, it's... It's one thing to say, well, well, whatever. Why shouldn't he just ride out the last of his years As long as he can, you know, not finish last. Why shouldn't he just keep racing just for himself?
0: Because if he wasn't, like, Morbidelli would have a new bike.
1: There's that. But also, you know, he could be a manager or a rider coach, or he could just you know, but X-Men. didn't he
0: announce that he's going to have his own, there's going to be a VR46
1: MotoGP GP team next year? Mm.
0: Or who knows
1: a, what that actually means though. I I think it's more important to think about yeah, cuz people are pissed that it's it's being funded with
0: Saudi money. So everyone's saying like like Rossi's like like a horrible like he's committing genocide because he's like taking oil money. Like, all of racing takes oil money. (laughs) What do you think?
1: (laughs) Anyway. Well, I mean, I would be happy for there to be less oil money in motorcycling. But it will always reflect the whole industry environment in which it exists. It would be nice if we could switch it over and change it a little bit and you know Rossi as a big public figure could change that somewhat. Uh, oh, yeah, but it's
0: replacing the Aventia bikes. So there'll be there'll be two less Ducatis and two more Yamahas, I guess. Okay. Oh, no, 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 yeah. I think it's, no, I think Avintia Ducati is going to become VR46 Ducati. I, I don't know. This could all change. Who knows what it's going to be? L- like, kind of... Nothing's real news. until it actually materializes. Anymore. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, long story short, yes. Rossi should be gone. Pedro Acosta, this is one of the most promising starts I've seen for a GP racer's career. But remember, it is still the start we all said this about Quadraro as well and Quadraro has, passed, has, yeah. has surpassed a lot he is as close as you get to being you know a, a, a Rossi or uh, or whatever he's he's at least a Pedrosa. Right now. Right. He's performing at a Pedrosa level, which is an insanely high level to achieve. More than anyone could reasonably hope for in a hundred lifetimes. And he has passed
1: the first of nine trials with flying colors. But mm-hmm. there are still eight more trials to go. Like the- he's
0: if he getting- was a Treyu, he's walking in between the two statues right now. <laughs> and <laughs> that was a deep pull, and we-, wow. we will see if there is fear in his heart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what were wow. they called the sirens or so what were they called i have no idea i can't remember what the statues were i
1: don't called. know if we would even be able to find a clip of that scene on youtube right now oh we like we could. it might be just like completely lost to time i don't know but uh, anyway wow all right we should move on yeah, the <laughs> next email uh, all right, so we got another email from Vlad, one of my favorite listeners. And Vlad says, hello, gentlemen. Hope you're doing well. You don't, oh, uh, now he's saying you don't have to read this part. God damn it. Oh, oh, no, that's about you. He he really doesn't want you to die of COVID after getting COVID. From, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Anyway, Vlad, you know I read these drunk you could have put that up front. Anyway. His
0: spelling and grammar has, like, tweaked up another level since the early emails we got. This it one is. read pretty solid. Is Were the original ones bad? They weren't bad, but it was obvious English was not his first language. This one was smooth enough that it could have just been a couple typos.
1: All right. He says, now, I'm not sure, but did you guys talk about the Vulcan grunt butt? I would love to hear your opinion about you it.
0: Vulcan, right? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. It, it's a made-up word. I don't know <laughs> how it's pronounced. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. He says, I'd love to hear your opinion about it. Looks like a nice bike. I like what I'm reading about it. Everything else is going good. I'm getting ready for a short three days camping trip in Galena, Illinois. We'll be on slash off road riding events for a uh ADV bikes. It is an informal event organized by a gentleman from the ADV Rider Forum. Also, just got some tickets for the Moto America race. at Road America track in Wisconsin. Should be a fun weekend with my son. Well, keep doing what you're doing. All the best, gentlemen. Vlad. Well, first so, of all,
0: rock on for yeah. Let's get the easy parts of this out of the way. First of all, rock on getting the Moto America tickets. You're really going to enjoy it. Uh, it's it's a smaller crowd, but everyone there is super passionate about it. A lot of people there are also you know friends and family of the racers. So as you just kind of like talk to people, a lot of people have skin in the game and what's happening. The um, every track's different, but I thought. All the uh, all the 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 timing screens that were up, the way that every single person there was following everything super intently, the really close awesome racing that is Moto America. Anyway, it felt like it, it felt like a track day that just like not a track day. It felt like a race that just a bunch of the fans like didn't show up to because it was just raining or something. Except the sun was out, like it like the spectacle itself was fantastic i mean it also helped that we had like hot pit access and all of that (laughs) but um but no these these some these teams show up with money and these teams show up to win and it's it is the real deal and we had a blast and i think you will too
1: yeah it's super dope and everyone should if you're if you live near a track that's hosting a m a and you're not there, you're a fucking idiot, yeah like it's good it's cheap and it's it
0: really is it's on a weekend oh, like have you seen Bovier in moto two like he's he got into like the top ten before he crashed out last weekend like these guys run at those speeds like they are that level
1: anyway I, yeah. The last Moto GP race was heartbreaking. It really but, was. We'll, we'll probably <laughs> we'll, talk about that next week. Yeah, yeah. Um, as for the Vulcan or the Vulcon, I okay. We need to talk a little bit about vaporware. I, I think we have talked about this a little bit before. And we need to talk about Electric. Because Reading electric is kind of one of my guilty hobbies. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love to go through it. But let's be honest: like ninety-five percent of what they comment on and what they what they talk about has never existed and will never exist.
0: It's kind of like when CNN in like the late 90s or CNN International used to have the the fashion segment like like 15 minutes every day and oh, they, who do they get to uh who do they get they got someone incredible on it Cindy Crawford used to do it Cindy Crawford used to be on CNN International doing the fashion update like you know in 2 Wednesdays. weeks
1: we're all going to be wearing chromatic trash bags. Yeah, it like, it had so, it was just
0: really an excuse to put Cindy Crawford on TV when she was still super hot. Well, I guess she probably is still super hot in in some ways. Well, her daughters certainly fucking super hot. Anyway, um go ahead, back to the age of supermodels, which isn't now. Uh the the yeah, it was just 15 minutes of complete nonsense, wild speculation, I'm sure huge errors in reporting, but there was no one to call bullshit and that's what the electric world is missing.
1: Right. Now, you know, as for as for as to all the things that you're reading, all the things that you're reading sound amazing. But from what everything I know about how electric motorcycles work today and what the actual energy density of lithium-ion batteries are and what the actual cost per kilowatt hour lithium ion batteries charged today this is not possible there may be some element of how this bike works and how it gets its efficiency out of the batteries that makes these people complete fucking geniuses well it's the that makes this a
0: compelling product it's the classic pick two triangle you've got range you've got cost and you've got performance pick two
1: Right, and from what they've said it will cost, and from what they say it will do, and from what they say how far it will go, everything that I know about electric vehicles says that that's impossible. Now, if they've got some revolutionary piece of technology or some design aspect of their bike that makes this all work, then awesome! Awesome! I'll go buy one, but I don't think it will happen, and I'm willing to bet money that it won't happen because it doesn't make any sense to me like the math just doesn't add up
0: well, yeah, it's like what was the um what was the other bike that like the really high profile one for a minute that claimed to do this the oh uh, the lightning the yeah the lightning, the lightning strike. strike yeah, yeah it's too good to be true. And, you know, back, and I I got on the lightning strike hype train, too. And, I mean, we hadn't had our hearts broken so many times back then. And we're we're an older, wiser, more jaded Nokomono. And we're going to sit back and wait to be impressed. All right? If it's so bloody brilliant, Vulcan, bring one out here, and we will test it. We'll take it to the track. We'll put it on trails. We'll ride it in town. We'll see how good a grocery getter it is. We'll see if we can wheelie it. We'll do all the things, but um, we're gonna wait on this one.
1: Yeah, this is a yeah, this is a put up or shut up one. We want it to work deep down,
0: but mm, can't go there. All right, what else we got
1: here? Uh, Well, I got one more, but I need to go grab a beer. So you do one real quick. Okay, so here's one of the ones that just got sent to me. So this
0: is from Altino. And um, another just reminder to people sending us emails. You know, we're not evil, but when you send emails to people, they might be. So try not to send it from, like, a work email that has a – a little, uh, a little footer with all your your worky uh, information and your name and you know. In the past, I have found like listeners' houses just for fun, <laughs> and and all kinds of information about them because I am just like I wonder if I was evil. What it would t- anyway? So Altino said, "Hey, my name's Altino. I write this shit from Portugal, right across the Atlantic Ocean." It is. I listen to you guys for a long time. I do it while riding my bike or just to fall asleep. So I guess it's time to give you a few words about your work. I mostly fall asleep listening to your bullshit. Just kidding. I really dig your podcast because it reminds me of me and my asshole friends talking about bikes and riding. By playing the podcast, I get the sensation. I am just having my morning coffee while listening listening to two random guys uh, talking their shit on a near table. It is cool. No other podcast comes near, especially that bullshit creative writing. <laughs> 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 no, seriously. I just wanted to thank you for the time you dedicate to doing this and give you my respect. Hope you keep on posting until e-bikes turn standard and I die and go to hell for filling my tank with good old gasoline. You have five stars for best motorcycle podcast in the fucking world. No questions asked. Have a great day. So thank you. It's really nice to get these kinds of emails like, you know, i so let just be walk around work and my phone will just blink. And then there's something like that that just brightens my day. Thank you. Um, Yeah, Portugal. I bet we don't have too many Portugal lists. Well, who knows? I haven't checked the demographics for a while now. I should do that. Okay, and then the other one that was sent to me, oh, my goodness, who was it? It was from Nick, and let me find that one. Nick sent us something about – why don't I just search his name in my emails – yeah, come on, shall oh. I
1: cover and give my last one real quick? You should while I find this all right, so this is a supposed correction, but everyone will have everyone will have to go back and check the tape to determine whether this is an actual correction or not, but one of us is extremely wrong, and possibly both of us. So this is from Matt. And he says, hey guys, I was listening to the Cheap Biker move, Moves episode. You were talking about gear and degloving injuries. I don't know if we were talking about degloving during Cheap Biker Moves. That sounds like an earlier episode with uh, with Dr. Mike Action. But maybe we were talking about that more recently. And he says, uh, Swiggs, said you need a second skin layer like cordite or Kevlar. Oh, boys, cordite is gunpowder. Please, for the love of the motorcycle gods, do not wear cordite under any circumstances. Love you guys and keep up the good work and ride safe. Now, I cannot 100% confirm that I did not say cordite. Well, you could. We just don't want to go back and l- dig up the audio. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I, I could definitively go and listen to the episode, but that's, that's like minutes of my life. But <laughs> what I clearly either said, and if I didn't say, I meant Cordura, which is the denim-like fabric that is highly resilient to abrasion that is not denim, but not quite as good as Kevlar. In any case, this also doesn't make sense to me because unless I was really, really drunk, then I would have known that Cordura would not stop degloving because it's a soft fabric it's just resistant to abrasion we may need to dig deeper here because none of this makes sense
0: well maybe
1: matt was drunk I, i i don't know probably both of you um this doesn't so make any sense. We
0: also got we also got a lot more emails from well the the constant barrage of emails that is coming from uh, from Brian Brian Honeycutt who sent us things defending his his ninja track bike and basically we had this amazing love hate thing with Brian because. Everything he sends us is us is pointing out things that we said wrong and, and saying, "No, that bike is great, blah 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 blah. But yet he keeps listening and obviously does love us. <laughs> but like, everything is like, "No, that was wrong." <laughs> um, also another email that uh, we got was one from John Del Vecchio saying that we owe it to ourselves to do American Supercamp. Which, if you don't know, is this amazing uh, – it's basically a flat track school, sort of. They go around the country and for like 500 bucks over a couple like eight-hour days teach you basically how to steer with the back wheel. And they, they teach you – just like that feel of the bike and and how to put your foot down on the ground and and they really like lock in a bunch of of technique for you and it's basically racing fundamentals
1: i get that but i would also have to respect myself enough to lose 40 pounds and also like show up to oh, a Oh no, track. I've
0: seen videos of people doing this. You don't need to lose weight. <laughs> this is this is just a like a th- they're not going to transform you in 2 days, but they will let you know what you need to work on is kind of what I'm I see here. And like you use like I think they just give everyone like a TTR 125 and you know they they put a bunch of dirt down but also they um they seem to get a lot of really high profile writers to come in and do guest coaching spots like all the time, which is cool as well. Cause like Nikki Hayden would do it in the past and cool shit like that. So I don't know, kind of worth, kind of worth it. Maybe there's one coming to us in August, I think that's not booked out. I might do it. I don't know. I, I'm still even now, like the, uh, uh a couple days ago, Wait, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday we were at the track. Jeez, um, I still am not super comfortable when the bat goes out. I still freak a little bit. I could, I could use a lot uh, on
1: that. But anyway, I'm just—I've just now trained myself to just mentally block it out. <laughs> like, if the bat goes out, it goes like, out. Just yeah. don't acknowledge it, and hopefully everything goes well. When in doubt, throttle out.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, and then. Um, Let's see here. So this email from Nick and I geez, I can't believe Cleveland Moto didn't uh, didn't say anything about this. No more one two five super cubs or groms in Oz going forward. So the Honda 125s, no good in Australia. Which is crazy, because there's been a long-standing tradition of small displacement Japanese bikes being very successful in Australia. Uh, a lot so, of...
1: Okay, so this is Australia. So, if 125s are not going forward in
0: Australia... No, there must no, be... Honda 125s are not going forward, because they are not two-channel ABS. All bikes in Australia must have two-channel ABS.
1: Are there bicycles to channel ABS? I'm just telling you
0: that as of November 21st, there will be no more Super Cubs, Monkey Bikes, CB-125s, Trail 125s, whatever, in Australia. Which does not say great things about the future of the Postie bike. Which I want to mention was another one of Cleveland Moto's supposed arguments against... The Super Cub versus the CT one two five. So, if you don't know, the Australian Postal Service uses CT nineties, or yeah, CT nineties, uh, uh, to deliver mail, right? So their thing was, oh, the Super Cub's the greatest selling bike of all time. Well, the Trail ninety, it, the whole Australian Postal Service uses the Trail ninety. First of all. The, whole, the Australian Postal Service uses Trail 90s. What if you order a mattress? Do four people on posty bikes carry it to your house? No, I'll bet you the Australian Postal Service uses other vehicles. Now, sure, I'm sure they use them in super urban and super rural areas alike, but that in-between stuff, the suburbs, I highly doubt it's posty bikes, but maybe it is, I don't know. But again, the whole world buying Super Cubs... Versus the Australian Postal Service. Which is larger? An insane argument, Cleveland. I'm sorry. It doesn't hold water. That this one postal service loves this particular bike. You know, I'll... I'm willing to bet most of Asia's postal services use Super Cubs. I, don't, I didn't even Google that. I could be completely wrong. But I'll bet you there are a lot more Asian mailmen using Super Cubs as mail bikes than Australian postmen. I think that's a safe <laughs> statement. I think that's a very safe statement. <sighs> but anyway, so uh, this, yeah. This is two-channel ABS in Australia.
1: This is colossal bullshit.
0: Like okay, yeah. Do you need? Does everything really need to be two channel ABS? I'm all for progress, but is this
1: a little fast? Well, well, let's just do like let let's think about this and just just work through the math here. I assume Australia has buses, and bus drivers have to drive a lot of people around. And they're in command of a lot of mass, and they're responsible for a lot of people and requisitely they are responsible for a lot of safety. You know, the buses have to be safe and they have to be qualified. If they were delivering mail on scooters... Is there a similar requisite amount of safety required? And what changed this year? Like how does this work? I
0: I don't know. It's just kind of like one of those weird things like like oh, like during the Obama administration they signed something in that like by whatever year, I don't know what year, every car has to have um Reverse cameras. When you can just look backwards, I don't know. It 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 seemed insane to me. Like, why require this extra thing here? I know it's not expensive anymore to put a reverse camera, but it's weird. I I was driving the the Subaru today, and it's got a reverse camera, and I was still just looking backwards. I, yeah.
1: it's what you I don't know well I certainly perfectly easy to do uh well yeah yeah and you know what that reverse camera comes in real handy 12 inches off the ground right at the back of the car when you're trying to reverse a trailer yeah it's (laughs) super helpful
0: (laughs) Yeah, who knows for what reason? I mean, Australia is a weird place. I I mean, it's a great country. I love it. I've I've been a couple times, but I have to imagine there are several places bipolar where it's super progressive and like nanny state, but like socially, it's so conservative as well. It
1: really runs hot and cold. I I mean, I'm sure there are still like. Yeah, I'm sure there are still like inner places in Australia where they're just secretly importing gas and then adding the lead back in. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I
0: think that's a pretty good email roundup. For next week, I'll do a, a more thorough search through and see if there's any more that we missed. But finally, we got a little bit of a catch up. We actually blew through those in a not too insane amount of time, it was about 25 minutes, maybe or maybe 30 minutes for emails. But that was good. So, whoa, we're running long here at two hours and 15 minutes or about there. So I think it's, it's time to wrap this up. Oh, ma'am. So in closing, I've been your host, MotoGP, and he's been your host, Swiggy. And we're going to sign out, reminding you please leave ratings and reviews and things. Send us emails to contact at Nokomotopodcast.com and keep fighting the dragon. Stay safe and stay tuned. And remember, Cleveland Moto, we love you. It's all in good fun. Chris, Chris Smith, Chris Smith and who knows maybe even christmas too is going to come on the show next week and share his exact same opinions and also be mad at me about hyperbole which is questionably hyperbole. but it's it's all right come at me because it's going to be really fun just run it just run it all right
1: and i don't want to die i just want to ride on my Go